We're starting a new series today, uh, and the new series is called Practice Resurrection. And it's our way of kind of leaning in to the Easter season and preparing for the Easter season because we believe here that the resurrection changes everything that it transforms everything. So we just came out of a series where we talked about the good news for our everyday life, that the gospel is not just good news for my past, and it's not just good news for my future, but it's good news for my everyday life. And because of that, we believe that we get to practice resurrection, that there is a power and an authority and a strength that is available to us and that is present to us, that the presence of God is right here, that God is always present and always at work and always moving, and that our job is to figure out how do we practice that? What does it look like? So Pope John Paul II was addressing a group of leaders from third world countries, and he said this, and, and this, this quote just kind of, um, you know, sometimes you just, you hear something and you're like, wow, that is really, really true and a little painful. You, and, and this is how it was. This is my paraphrase of it. He said this, he said, don't look to Western nations as a model for your development because they know how to make things but they don't know how to live with them. They have acquired mind-boggling technology, but they've forgotten how to raise their children, how to be happily married, and how to genuinely enjoy life. Ouch and true, right? He, here's, here's what he said. They, have, uh, they know how to make things, but they don't know how to live in or with them. Um, and this deeply, deeply resonates with me, that we know how to create things, we know how to control things, we know how to build things, we know how to kind of uh, uh, work things out, but, but sometimes we forget how do we actually live? What does it look like for us to live? So Ephesians chapter four, verse 13 says this, and, and this is what we're getting at when we talk about practicing resurrection. It says, until we reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, and this last part, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's what practicing resurrection is, is it's getting to a place where we start to figure out what does it look like for me to attain the fullness of Christ in my life? Because sometimes what we find is there's this huge gap between the life that we live and the life that we seem to be promised in our faith, right? Like that I'm, I'm living in this place that feels like a desert season, that feels like a dry season, that feels like God isn't present, that feels like God isn't at work, but I read scripture and I see that he is present, that he's risen, that he's powerful, that he's alive, that he's working, that he's moving, that he's here, that he meets us in reality, that he's right here in this moment. And so we live in this tension of there is the life that I live, but there's the life that I promised, and I like the life that I'm promised better than the life that I live. You with me? And so what we wanna work out over the coming weeks is what does it look like for us to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? What does it look like for us to live as if he is risen? What does it look like to live as if he's alive? What does it look like for us to live as if God's power is abundant and true and full and available to me and his presence is with me and he wants to lead me and guide me in my everyday life? I don't know about you guys, but I get excited about that, right? I can get fired up about talking about that because that's the life that we all want. There's nobody in here who would say, ah, that full and abundant life, I don't really want that. I'm, I'm out on the full and abundant life stuff. I'm, I'm gonna settle for average. I want the average and okay life. I'm good with that. We all want that. Um, I remember when I was playing high school basketball, 
And I had a coach that was really, really tough on me. He was, uh, he was a former NBA player, which means he played like three games in the NBA, but he liked to tell everybody like he was Shaq, right? He liked to tell everybody like he was an NBA all-star. But he was tough on me. And, and I, I remember one practice, we were doing defensive stances and you know, you get down in a defensive stance and you just run all over the place. That's kind of what, it's just, it's a conditioning thing. And um, I was probably a junior in high school at this time, and I was lazy. Uh, and every time the coach would kind of turn his head, I would kind of slow down, right? When the coach was watching me, I was working really hard, right? I was, I was in it, I was down in my stance, I was gritting my teeth, and then when the coach wasn't walking, watching me, I was dogging it, right? And he caught me, and he looked at me, and he said, Hardman, like I am so tired of this nonsense, and he made me run the whole practice, I ran the entire time. And as I was running, he pulled me off to the side, kind of by my shirt. He was a massive man, three times the size of me. And he looked at me and he said, I want you to know something. There is more in you. And the rest of the team can't wait for you to discover it. There is more in you. And he's talking about basketball, right? He was just saying, I could score six more points a game and help us win, right? I could dish out a few more assists. I could play a little better defense. But I believe the resurrection, I believe the story of Christ's resurrection is the picture of him saying to all of us, there is more in me than you could ever imagine and hope for. The one thing that we think we can't conquer, which is death, I got that. And because there's more in me, there's more in you because it's available to you, because it's present to you, because I am working and moving in your life, because I am present and available. I believe that Christ is infinitely rediscoverable, right? This will be my 43rd Easter. Anybody with me? Like we've, we've been to some Easter services. You've heard this story. You know what happened. Like there are no surprises that are gonna happen when I'm reading the text about what's going on. Like, oh, wow, he rose again. Wow, that's, like I've heard this. I know this. And many of you are in that same place, but I believe that Christ is infinitely rediscoverable and that there is wonder and there is power and there is imagination and there is hope in every single page of our scriptures as it talks about the resurrection. And I, I wanna get in touch with what I can't fully comprehend. I wanna get in touch with what is it that allows me to settle for this life when this life is available. I wanna get in touch with what does it look like for me to discover the presence of God in a new and a fresh way in my life. And so that's what we're gonna do. We're gonna dive into this uh, and, and, and jump into what the resurrection really is. And it, it's not something that we can control. It's not something we can use or manipulate or improve upon. And as Americans, that's what we wanna do with everything. It's almost as if if we can't control it, we don't want it. So we either push it off to the side or we dismiss it or we pretend like it never happened because everything in our lives, we want it to be something that we can mold and make and create in our images and the resurrection can't be packaged. Eugene Peterson said this, he said, wonder can never be packaged and sold like everything else in our culture because it's God's operation and not our own. Wonder is something that we can't manufacture. It's something that we can't figure out. Uh, I remember my boys were little, 
and we were at my parents' house. My parents lived in this little farmhouse in Ohio. And back behind their house uh, was this kind of big, huge cornfield. And we were sitting out on the back patio. Uh, I think there was a little bit of a fire going in the fire pit. I think we had just eaten lots of hamburgers. Uh, and the kids were just running around chasing lightning bugs. Remember the days when you chased lightning bugs? Right? They, were in, they were completely enamored with this, right? My mom had got them little jars so that they could kill the bugs once they caught them, um, right? Uh, it's a very terrible thing, but that's what they were doing. My, uh, the kids were just like, there was just like sounds of great joy and glee and laughing. <laughs> and just, they were just so enamored with this. And they would catch them and then they would run and show them to us. Mom, dad, look at this, they glow. And I was like, yep, they glow. I've seen him before. And right in the midst of that, I felt like the father was saying to me, like, Ben, you've lost your wonder. Like, what if you could look at life like that? What if you could have that joy in the moment? What if you could actually live in the moment, be present in the moment? What if you could look at life like that? Because when's the last time we were actually in awe of something, guys? When's the last time we were actually looked at something and said, I cannot believe that this is true, that this is real, that this is good, this is amazing. Like I got up this morning, I drove here. It is a beautiful day out. And it's hard for me to notice that even, right? It's hard for me to even recognize that that's happening. I get so caught up in the busyness of my life. I got so caught up in like making some little notes on this message that I forgot to say, Lord, this is what a gift today is. We, we've learned to live in our past, right? We, we know how to live like nostalgic, thinking back to our glory days when I was playing high school basketball. We know what it's like to live with regrets of wishing I had done this or wishing I had chosen this or wishing I had done this. We know how to live in the future, right? We know how to think philosophically about what could be or what's next or what might be or, or maybe five years from now, this will happen. Uh, we, we love to worry about the future and worry about, well, what if this happens or what if this happens? It feels like in our culture, we have a crisis of not being able to live in the moment, of not being able to actually be present where we are. So one of the things we always talk about around here is discipleship is being present in your own life. It's actually recognizing what God is doing in you and through you in the moment. And there is a way that we live in our culture where we're not even present to what God is doing. So the curriculum for discipleship is our life. It's not what Ben teaches on Sunday. It's not that new study on Leviticus. It's not the new Beth Moore thing, although Beth is great. She's Southern and she says things, right? I, I, like the, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ragging on anybody. Like all that stuff is great. But the way that we grow spiritually is we recognize what's really going on in our lives. We're present enough to say, man, I don't, I'm, I'm discouraged today. Like I'm angry today. That email provoked a response from me that it shouldn't have provoked. My kids, I just screamed at them and I shouldn't have done that. That was about me and not them, even though they are awful, <laughs> right? Like these are the types of things that discipleship does is it causes us to examine our life and then surrender our life to the Father and say, all right, Lord, I need you to meet me where I am. 
Here's where I am. I'm angry today, I'm frustrated today, and I just yelled at my kids. And that's not the parent that I wanna be. And that's not the full and abundant life that you've promised me. And so would you meet me here and would you guide me and direct me? It's trusting that God's way is better than our way. It's trusting that he desires to lead us beside still waters, that he has good things prepared for us. And it's trusting that he wants to work this out. Uh, so we trust that God's always present and always at work. And so here's what we're gonna do. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at a short story from the resurrection. Each week, we're gonna look at a different passage and we're gonna look at it maybe in a way that you've not looked at it before. We're gonna look at it through the lens of all the gospels. So we're gonna look at what does Matthew say about this? What does Mark say about this? What does Luke say about this? And what does John say about it, right? So we're gonna look at the stories and we're gonna notice that each storyteller tells the story a little different. Each writer of the gospel includes different facts, includes different pieces, shares a different piece of knowledge about what's going on. It's almost like a, um, a movie that's shot with four cameras from four different angles, right? Um, and because there are differing things in different stories does not make it untrue. Uh, let's, let's think of an example. So uh, one of the first worship gatherings that our whole staff was a part of was Pentecost last year, right? That was almost a year ago. Um, that was one of the first times I was here and we all worshiped in this room. Uh, everybody prayed for our family up front. It was this awesome, awesome worship night. So if, if you got me and Tyler and Silvana and Melissa and Meredith and put us all in separate rooms and ask us what happened at Pentecost, we would each include different details, right? We would each include different pieces, that doesn't make one person's version untrue and the other's untrue. Tyler might remember something about that that I won't because he's younger than me and his memory hasn't gone away, right? There are things that might happen in there where, where, where there's different interactions. That doesn't make it untrue. It means that it's just different versions of the story. And so that's what we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at different story, versions of the story and we're gonna understand that today, in today's passages, the one thing that is common, the one element that is in every single passage is wonder. It's wonder. That there was absolute astonishment, amazement, and surprise at what God was doing. Now, here's the thing though. As we read scripture for 43 years, I know the end. And so when I read it, I'm like, Jesus told you a hundred times what he was going to do. Like over and over again, he said, I've set my heart towards Jerusalem. You'll knock down this temple and in three days, I'll build it up again, right? I'm going to die, right? You're gonna have to take up your cross and follow me. Like all of these different things Jesus said. And it's like when they get there, they shouldn't be surprised by it, but they all were. It's almost as if for those of us who have journeyed in the stories for a long time and have lived in these narratives for year after year after year, we need to rediscover them. We need to understand the beauty in them. We need to see that there's something that happens here that was a complete surprise to the people that it shouldn't have been a complete surprise to. And that's how God operates and works. 
That there are hints, there are glimpses, there are pieces, there are parts of the Holy Spirit's movement in our life over and over again. There are callings, there are tools, there are tips, there are little mysteries that are revealed in our life over and over again that we cannot see in the moment, but we can see as we look back. As I look back on my life, I see the hand of God, but I'm also still surprised by where he takes me and what he does. This is exactly what's happening here. So if you don't have a Bible, today's a great day to grab one. We've got a bunch on the back shelf back there, um, which are always available, and, and you guys can take those home and, and do whatever. If you want one of those Bibles, maybe put up your hand today, and we'll put a Bible in your hand. If you don't, we're gonna put some stuff on the screen, uh, so that'll be okay too. Uh, but we do really want people to get in the scriptures over the next few weeks. And so we're gonna start with Matthew. We're gonna start in Matthew chapter 28. Uh, and we're gonna look at the idea that the resurrection actually forced God's people to live in the moment. It actually forced them to discover and discuss what they really believed. Uh, and so Matthew chapter 28. Matthew's version kind of looks like this. Uh, so Mary Magdalene and the other Mary are visiting the tomb. And as they approach it, there's an earthquake. In none of the other gospels is there an earthquake. So there's an earthquake here. Matthew's got an earthquake. I don't know if that's just like, it'd be really powerful if we threw an earthquake in there. Uh, I don't know if Matthew heard the story as an earthquake. I don't know what was going on with the earth. Maybe it was just a little tremor, right? Maybe they just had a lot of coffee that morning and it felt like an earthquake. I, I don't know what was going on, but there's an earthquake in, in Matthew's version and suddenly an angel appears. And as the angel appears, the angel says, don't be afraid for he is risen. Now go tell the other disciples. So he sends them off to go tell the other disciples. So as they run, as Mary is running to go tell the other disciples, she hears a familiar voice say, good morning. Verse eight, it says, so the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. That's an interesting statement there. Afraid yet filled with joy. I think that's something that the Father does to us sometimes. Have you ever been in that space where you're a little afraid, but you're also filled with joy? Afraid yet filled with joy, they ran to tell the disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings, he said to them. And they came to him, clasping his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and they will see me. So here's their response to this. Their response to this is immediately they respond to what the angel tells them to do, which is good, right? If God's telling you to do something, our posture is always to obey. We respond to the Father's voice and we do it with obedience. And, and, and then they come in contact with Jesus and a moment they move to two things, reverence and intimacy. Reverence and intimacy. It says this, they clasped his feet, right? So, Suddenly they see Jesus and they are face down. They're not, they're not just like reaching down like tying his shoes, right? They are face down on the ground in that moment in reverence. And it says they worshiped him. There is a posture of worship which includes those two pieces. There is reverence in our worship, which is God is big. He's stronger than we could imagine. He's holier than I could ever understand. There's all of these moments where people come in contact with God, the living God, and say things like, I can't be around you. You notice what the angels are always saying to people when they come in contact with God? What's the first phrase they say? 
Don't be afraid. Over and over and over again. Because there is a reverence and an awe that the God of the universe is present. That the God who spoke the world into existence, that breathed life into our lungs, is real and is present and is here. So there's this reverence, but there's also this intimacy because this is Jesus. This is the guy they've walked with. This is the guy they've hung out with. This is the guy they've had countless meals with. This is their teacher. This is their rabbi. This is the guy who's been guiding them and leading them and going beside him. And so there's this reverence and this awe all at once. And and there's something so beautiful about these moments where we have these moments where it's only God moments, right? Only God could have done this. And they don't happen terribly often, but they're amazing when they do. And our response to those moments is always reverence and awe, reverence and intimacy. I I was asked to speak at a youth camp in Alabama a couple years ago. It was about a year and a half ago. And and I, I, uh, I showed up and there were just students everywhere, which I didn't even know there were that many teenagers in Alabama. And also for me, I'm just gonna be honest, I'm a city boy from Ohio. Going to Alabama is like going on a missions trip in a foreign country to me, right? <laughs> Like I had to like contextualize what was going on. I didn't know what anybody was saying. Uh, everybody had camo on. I was very confused the whole time, right? Uh, but I, I, I started preaching. And, and every time I, uh, for the last few years, I get invited occasionally to do like student ministry things. And I feel really comfortable talking to adults. Put me in front of adults, I'm good. I, I love speaking to college students. Put me in front of college students, I'm great. When it gets to like high school and junior high, I say to my wife every single time I go now, and I just did one in Michigan last week, I say to her, I'm like, babe, this may be the last one, right? Because they like start their services at like 10 o'clock at night. Like, I, that's, I'm in bed. I've already watched two episodes of Seinfeld. I'm asleep by then, right? I am out. Like, this is way too late for me. And so I always feel like, I, I, don't, know, I don't know if I connect anymore to students. And so I'm fully aware of my inadequacies as a communicator. And so when I'm fully aware of my inadequacies, what I do is I trust in the Spirit. And so for some reason, um, this may be a part of my own brokenness and a lesson for me to learn, when I speak to students, I pray a little more. And so I'm, I, I'm just praying like, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. I don't understand Alabama. I don't, there, are, there are thousands of students out there. I'm a little terrified about this. These lights are really bright, right? And... I got up there and I preached and, and I didn't make an altar call. Like I didn't say, I didn't do one of those, like I see that hand, I see that hand, right? I didn't see that, do the every head bowed, every eye closed. Any of you, uh, I didn't do the like, I feel like the spirit's still working. I, we need more, we need more. Like there was no manipulation. There was no shame and guilt. I just preached the word. I proclaimed the good news. And I said, I think God's inviting us to something. If God's inviting you to something, I want you to grab an adult and I want you to talk to them. I want you to pray with them. Um, I've been to too many youth kind of things where it feels like an emotional pep rally where we guilt people into the kingdom or we make them cry and sing friends or friends forever or, or, or whatever that is. And, 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 and I don't want to do that. And so I'm, I'm, it's always like, here's the good news. God wants you to respond. Find an adult because I'm not going to be here next week, especially in Alabama. Right? And, and guys, I'm not kidding. Like something happened in that room that was only God. I did not preach a very good message. Like on the scale of my good messages in my life, it was not up high on the list. But something broke in that room. 
and the Spirit of God showed up and these kids just started coming forward. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what's happened. And, and so the leader of the group, I was just like sitting backstage, like I'm done, you guys deal with this now. I, I, I just, you know, the Holy Spirit's coming, now you guys work it out, right? And, and uh, the guy was like, we need adults at the front of the stage because there's a bunch of kids that wanna accept Jesus. 750 kids that night prayed for the first time to accept Jesus in their life. And the stories I started hearing from these youth leaders was just incredible. Those moments are reverence and intimacy. And for me, here's how that plays out. It's reverence in like, God, you are so good. Like, how could this possibly happen? Like, this is only you could do this. And then intimacy in like, how in the world do I get to be a part of this? Like I am so sinful and so broken and I've got so much junk I'm working out in my life and that wasn't even a good sermon. Like how in the world do I get to be a part of this? This is what the resurrection brings us to. It brings us to living every day with reverence of how big God is, how much power and strength is available to us and intimacy to say how amazing it is that I get to receive the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the hope and the peace and the joy and the wisdom that God brings into my life every single day. I'm gonna spend the whole time in Matthew because I get excited. All right, Mark. Mark chapter 16. Mark is like the comic book version of the Gospels. Um, Mark gets after everything really fast. He skips a lot of the details. He doesn't care about the details. And he always uses words like amazed and astonished. It's like boom, pow. Like it's all those kinds of things. It really is like the comic book version. So the story from Mark in Mark chapter 16, there's a new person there. Salome is there. And the women that are going to the, the tomb, their job is to embalm the body. That's what they're doing. And the discussion they're having along the way is there's this big stone there. Like, I don't know how we move the stone that's in front of the tomb so that we can embalm the body. But when they arrive, the stone is rolled away and an angel is there with instructions. Do not be afraid. He is risen. Here's what I want you to do. Go tell the disciples. And in typical Mark fashion, here's how they respond. Mark 16, verse eight. Trembling and bewildered. So the first we saw reverence and intimacy what we see here is trembling and bewilderment. The women went out and fled from the tomb. And listen to this. They said nothing to anybody because they were afraid. Now, obviously they said something to somebody at some point because we're sitting here today and we know about this. So the word got out somewhere. But Mark takes us to this place where wonder actually causes us to be afraid. Where wonder actually causes us to tremble and be bewildered at what God is doing. And here's what I believe. I believe that God is bigger than anything that I can understand, guys. And I know that as a pastor, and I know that as a person that goes to this church, you want me to have certainty in all of my theology, in all of my doctrine. You want me to be able to answer all of the intimate questions about God and this universe and this world. And I want you to know that I can't do all of that. Because if I could explain God away, then he wouldn't be God. There is a mystery in our creator. 
And we do everything we can to talk about it, to explain it, to discover it, to learn about it, to, to, to live in the presence of God's teaching of us. But, but there are some things where the best posture for us is simply to surrender and simply to rest. And sometimes what happens, honestly, is when we interact with God and God tells us what to do, we're afraid. Because for us to genuinely follow Christ means it's gonna cost us something. If you are genuinely living the life that Christ has called you to, it will hurt, it will cost you something, and you will have to give up something to get there. We want a life of comfort. We've been taught the American dream. We've been taught that this world is just for us, that God just wants to give us a big hug. Uh, all of those things are not true. Sometimes God calls us to sacrifice. Sometimes God calls us to pain. Sometimes God calls us to do things that nobody else will do, and it hurts. One of my mentors says, the first person through the door always gets bloody. And there are times when God is calling us to be the first person through the door where breakthrough needs to happen and there are strongholds set in our community and we're gonna walk through that door even though we may take a beating as we walk through that door because the kingdom of God calls for it. And so we, we accept the sacrifice and we step in. Next week, we're gonna talk about fear because every single one of the resurrection stories is full of fear. Luke Luke verse 20, chapter 24, very similar passage. There's the tomb, there's the angels, there's the announcement, there's the go tell the disciples, and then there's this passage, and I love this passage. Luke 24, verses five through eight. It says, this is what the angel says. Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, he is risen. And then listen to this word, remember. Remember how he told you. While you were still in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified on the third day and raised again. And suddenly they remembered his words. Sometimes what the resurrection does, what living in light of the resurrection does, what practicing resurrection is, is it's remembering. There will be moments in your life where you will feel like God is not present and at work. I promise you. There will be moments when it feels like the stone is in front of the tomb, everything's closed off, all hope is lost. And sometimes what, what God calls us to do is remember. Remember my faithfulness. Remember that I keep my promises. Remember that you can trust me. Remember that I'm good. Remember that I'm beside you. Remember what I spoke to you when you were young that is still true for you today. Remember, 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 remember. I, I, I believe that God always prepares us before he calls us. Always. And it's interesting that they don't remember all this stuff. Because Jesus is dropping hints all the time about what's coming. In fact, he's very direct <laughs> at some point. Like, guys, I am going to die, and that's what's going to happen. What? Like, they're, they're like shocked when it actually happens. I really believe that this is how God works in our life sometimes. I believe the pieces don't fit unless we look at it backwards. Like, the journey of how Sarah and I got to Marietta and are here 
it made absolutely no sense as we were journeying through it. None. As I was living in the moment, it was like this, I don't, I don't understand this. I don't understand what you're doing, God. I don't understand what's happening in this season. But as I look back, I see the presence of God, the power of God, the work of God, the word of God, all pushing us to this place. That's how it works out. And so sometimes in the middle of our life, as we're going through challenges, as we feel like we're in the desert season, the best thing we can possibly do is remember. John chapter 20. John tries to do something different every time. John's kind of a jerk, right? Uh, I'm just kidding. Sorry, some of you guys, we can't say that. Uh, John always has to be a little more creative than everybody else. John's a little poetic. John is a worship leader, right? He's got to wear the skinny jeans. He's got to use poetic language. Right? That's what John has to do with everything. Right? So, so he does something really different. Uh, Mary Magdalene goes to the grave and there's grave robbers. This is what's going on in John's gospel. Somebody has taken the body. And so they run to the disciples and the disciples all run to the tomb. Like, we're gonna get him. We're gonna figure this out. Where's Jesus? Somebody stole him. We gotta sort this out. What's going on? And John chapter 20, verses eight through 10, Peter runs ahead of everybody else because that's how Peter rolls, right? He's, Peter, I imagine, is a little chubby, but he's got good speed, right? He's got old man strength, right? And so when it comes down to Jesus, like he's jumping in the water and he's swimming, right? He's, he's running faster than everybody else. He puts on his old man strength as he goes there. And it says this, he saw and believed. But it says this, this is really interesting. They still did not understand the scripture that Jesus had, had to rise from the dead. And so they went back to where they were staying, they saw and they believed, but they still did not understand. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place in your life where you're looking at what God's asking you to do and you're like, yes, I believe, but I have no idea why you're asking me to do this, God. I believe that you're good. I trust you. I know that you're on your throne. I know what you've told me. I'm just not sure I understand. And as Americans, what we want to do is we want to understand before we obey. And what God does over and over and over again through Scripture is he teaches us to obey before we understand. What God wants from the beginning of creation is trust and relationship. That's what he wants with his people. He wants to be our God and for us to be his people. He wants to speak to us, to know us, to be present in our lives. And he wants us to trust him. He wants us to trust that his way of navigating the world is better than ours, that his way of determining what's good, right, and perfect for our life is better than our way of determining what's good, right, and perfect for our life. He wants us to actually believe as followers of Christ, this is what we do. We lay down our life to him, which means I say to him, my life does not belong to me anymore. So you're not just my savior who saved me from death and saved me from the penalty of my sin, but you're my Lord who then gets to guide me and tell me what to do. I have become your ambassador and I have laid my life down as a living sacrifice to you, which means at any moment, if you tell me to go, I go. And sometimes we love the savior part. We love to talk about Jesus as savior around Easter. He saved us from our sin. He saved us from the penalty of death. He saved us from, from, from our own brokenness and our own decisions and our own mess. But we don't love to talk about the Lord part sometimes. He also has said to us, I don't know that you're always gonna understand, but I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Every single person who I trust 
and believe that God is present at work doing amazing things in their life. The mentors in my life, one common thing that they have done in their life is they have taken risks that make no sense. When's the last time you took a risk that made no sense? When's the last time God called you to an empty road in the middle of the desert and you went out there and all of a sudden somebody was there and something happened? When's the last time God called you to something that, I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't even know that this makes a lot of sense. But I'm here. And I'm gonna keep showing up and I'm gonna wait and watch for God. That's what they're saying. They believed, but they didn't understand and so they went back to where they were staying. It's a beautiful, beautiful posture. So here's what we believe. I believe that every single one of the responses we've named today are also responses we can have for the resurrection. So we can have the Matthew posture of reverence and intimacy, right? It can, it can lead us to worship. It can lead us to a place where we fall to our faces and just say, thank you, Jesus, you're so good. Uh, I, I think it can lead us to the Mark posture of trembling and bewilderment. I don't know that I understand this completely. This is a little scary. It can lead us to the Luke posture of remembering. I wanna remember what God has done. Or it can remember us to, to, or take us to John's posture, which is, I believe, help my unbelief, isn't it? I, I, I see but I'm not sure I'm completely there and I'm not sure that I believe. And so if you find yourself in any of those spaces, I want you to know that you're in good company because that's where God's people throughout history have always found themselves. But here's the thing. The resurrection leads us to a decision. The resurrection calls us to a place where we've got to discern who we really are and how we're going to actually respond to this. I love Romans 8. Verse 19, it says this. It says, for creation waits. Think about that. Creation, all of creation waits. That means like the trees are waiting. The mountains are waiting. The dogs are <laughs> waiting. The horses, right? Uh, the people are waiting. Creation waits with eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. Creation waits. Creation waits. Here's what I believe without a shadow of a doubt, guys. Our neighborhood is waiting for the sons and daughters of God to know who they are, know who they belong to, and to step out in faith and take a risk for them. They're waiting for us to believe that God is real, that God is good, that God is present, and because he is, I can follow him into our community. I can live on mission. I can make disciples. I can pray boldly. I can share my faith. I can talk about Jesus in my workplace. I can talk about Jesus in my college. I can say to people that God's doing something in my heart. Creation waits with eager anticipation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And so here's my question today. Who's waiting for you? Who's waiting for you? And what does it look like for you to actually trust that God is real, that God is good, that God is risen, and that God is calling you? He's saying to every single one of us in this room, there's more in you because there's more in me. And I wanna give it to you. And so that's what I wanna tend to over the next few weeks. 
Just this idea of how do we sit in that presence of receiving from the Lord, of asking him to move, of making ourselves available to the power of the resurrection and trusting that God wants to use us and work in our lives. And so that's what we're gonna do. And so we're gonna come to the table today. We've got communion in the front and in the back. And as we come to the table, we just simply take the bread and remember Jesus's body that was broken for us. We take the juice and remember the blood that was shed for us. And as we come to the table, there is something important that happens as a family. And, and here's something I would love for us to start doing. And this, is, this might feel weird. This might feel new. This might take us a couple weeks to get into. Um, but we believe that the church is the family of God, right? That we are God's family. That, so that means every single one of you out there are brothers and sisters, right? And we all have the same dad. He's a good dad. He's a good father. And so I want us to kind of start acting like we're a family when we take communion, and so what I'd love to see is as we come and take communion, I'd love for you to take communion, but I'd also love for you to take a moment and I'd love for you to just grab somebody. It's your wife or your kids or a friend or somebody you don't even know and just say, hey, can we pray? Can we pray together? Um, I've noticed that when I just stop and pray with my family, good things happen. And so we wanna take this moment as we come and use it kind of as our worship time. And sometimes what we always think about when we think about worship is individual worship, like, right? This is just about me. This is my time with Jesus. I'm gonna be quiet. I'm gonna listen. I'm gonna speak to him. I'm gonna take this bread. I'm gonna say a quiet prayer. I'd love for us to invite each other into that. And I'd love for us just to start, maybe it's people from your house church that you're journeying with. Um, maybe it's just you. Maybe awkwardly just say, I wanna pray with you, right? Maybe the Lord is calling you to pray with somebody in here and you don't have any idea why, you don't even know why, but the power of the resurrection is working and they want you to do something and God's gonna show up. Um, but I want us just to start praying as a family as we take communion. So uh, we're gonna come, we're gonna take this, we're gonna pray as a family. We're gonna just kind of say, Lord, would you help us to, in our everyday life, would you show up this week? I mean, guys, could we pray for some God moments, like some only God moments here at Grace Marietta? Could we pray that there are more moments where the death come to life, where we see the chains broken and, and, and people set free, where we see things that we look at and we say, only God? And could we pray for those, not just here, but in our everyday life? And could we encourage each other and urge each other on and walk with each other through that? So I'm gonna pray. Band's gonna play, and as they do, I want you to come and take communion. Maybe take that bread, find a quiet place. You can stand up, you can sit. It'd be crazy if people sat up front. We could do that. You're allowed to do that at church. Um, we could do all these things, and, uh, and, and then we'll close in worship. Father God, I thank you that you're risen, and that changes everything. And we just come to you as your people, and we just confess that we sometimes don't know how to live in light of the resurrection that we wanna attain the fullness of Christ in us, that we want all that you have to offer for us, but sometimes we just don't know how to get it. And so I pray that you would teach us to be humble enough to listen, that you would teach us to be present enough to see you, that you would teach us to receive and to know that you are good. So Father, today as a community, as we come to your table, I pray that we would be able to taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.